It's July 3rd, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we'll be your geeks in residence for the next hour. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Hawala Grevy here to tell us about his new app, Dare Share. Finally, we'll learn about some of the science experiments being conducted on the voyaging canoes Hokulea and Hikianalia. Have your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet, but first, the headlines. Well, as the discoveries of planets beyond our solar systems continue to apace, an ambitious survey conducted by the Gemini Observatory atop Mauna Kea has uncovered new insights about types of exoplanets and where they are found. The uh, observatory recently completed its planet-finding campaign described as the deepest, most extensive direct imaging survey conducted to date. And they found that gas giant planets are notably rare around many types of stars. The campaign searched for planets around nearby stars more massive than our own sun, but the research team says that their findings could have implications beyond the systems that were imaged during the survey. They could, in fact, have a significant impact on broader theories of planetary formation. UH Institute for Astronomy researcher Michael Liu, who led the planet-finding campaign, said that gas giant planets like Jupiter and Saturn in our own solar system were not found in orbital zones further out from their stars. Relatively speaking, Jupiter and Saturn are huddled close to our sun, within 10 times the distance between the Earth and the sun. Liu said in a statement, it seems that gas giant exoplanets are like clinging offspring. Most tend to shun orbital zones far from their parents. There are two other papers based on the planet-finding campaign nearing publication. One focuses on frequently observed gaps in dust disks surrounding stars, and another looks at planets orbiting very young stars relatively close to our own solar system. Now, you know, we are at an age where there's a lot more exoplanets being discovered, and mm-hmm. of course we're you know, reporting on, on several of those findings, um, and those tend to be pretty large systems. So... You know, part of the story is that these these giant gases, gas planets are rare, but at the same time, you know, the exoplanets that they are uncovering are these large gas planets. And, and also they're very close to the sun. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what they're also surprised by, that they're not sometimes scattered near or far, but just like ours, the largest planets stay very close. Um, they did note that, in fact, it was a Keck Observatory discovery uh, three or four years ago, HR 8799, where uh, they were looking at four giant exoplanets in a system, and one of those or two of those are way out from the star. So mm-hmm. when they found that, they said, oh, okay, so there must be some variety in it. But this most recent survey looking at many, many of them, most of them, um, found that they stay very close. So actually that discovery by the Keck was an unusual one. But uh, they're really excited because they were using uh, some new equipment, the near-infrared coronographic (laughs) imager. Uh, It's a first-of-its-kind instrument for 8- to 10-meter telescopes. And actually there's going to be an upgrade coming to the Gemini telescopes called the planet imager. So if you thought that uh, our exoplanet palooza show earlier this year was too much exoplanets, you ain't heard nothing yet. That's right. (laughs) The local infrastructure needed to support the growing number of electric vehicles on our roads continues to evolve. The Ulupono Initiative, which is a sustainability-focused investing firm, announced this week that it was putting $175,000 into the local EV charging company, Volta Industries. Volta, which installs and maintains public charging stations that are free for the public and supported by sponsors, will use the money to add 15 new charging stations to its network, by the end of the year, that more than doubles its current 
size. Well, the Ulupono Initiative, founded in 2009 by local entrepreneur and philanthropist uh, Pierre Omidyar, is a Hawaii-focused outfit that combines both for-profit and non-profit investments to support renewable energy, locally produced food, and waste reduction. State officials say that the Hawaii, that Hawaii had the highest per capita sales of electric vehicles in the country in 2011, with more than 1,400 EVs registered as of May. Hawaii drivers have gotten an average of 19 miles per gallon over the last two decades, compared to 90 to 115 miles per gallon with today's electric cars. Ulupono Initiative Managing Partner Murray Clay said in a statement, One of the most important reasons consumers say they don't choose EVs is concern about their range. Increasing the number of stations statewide means more consumers will be able to easily charge their vehicles and avoid range anxiety. Volta has 14 charging stations operating today, and the new funding will speed up plans to bring more online, both on Oahu and Maui. When in place, the total number of EVs EV charging stations in Hawaii will have grown by 6%. You know, this is interesting. I, you know, I had a chance to drive a, a Chevy Volt for about a week. And, and, of course, the main thing that I was trying to do each day was find, you know, that uh, electric <laughs> charging station. Luckily, there was one in the building that I was parking at. And, uh, and, and it, was, uh, it was free, but normally you would have to pay. And in this uh, uh, example of uh, Volta's business model, it's interesting because it's free and they, I guess, pay for it via advertising. Right, right. So you've probably seen their stations around. Um, presumably, it's still at a premium so that the companies that sponsor them know that they're also doing a good thing. But it's certainly a much better model. Um, although I know that in some commercial facilities, the free free charging is abused and they're already trying to figure out ways because, you know, people will park there first thing in the morning and then just leave it there all day when they're hoping people are just coming and going while they're shopping. Right, right. And, you know, I, I would imagine that just because it is free, yeah, people would uh, try to, you know, take advantage of it. Better than fact. plugging it in at home. Well, but, and I, you know, I want to just add that Volta was one of the uh, uh, blue startup companies, too, that came on of the first cohort. Right, and there's still a lot happening in this space. It was back in March where we talked about Better Place, how they were pulling out of the the whole industry, but they sold their 77 charging stations in Hawaii to an Oregon company, so those will continue to operate Mm -hmm. as well. Well, next up, uh, new rules nearly a decade in the making will restrict fishing in waters off west coast, uh, the west coast of Hawaii Island. On Friday, the State Board of Land and Natural Resources voted to approve restrictions on spear fishing and aquarium fishing that revise uh, and revise the boundaries for the fisheries uh, management area. The rules passed 4 to, four to 2, with one dissenting from Board Chairman and State Department of Land and Natural Resources head William Isla. Uh, opponents argue that one new rule in particular banning the use of scuba gear while spearfishing was unwarranted. The new rules were formulated by the West Hawaii Fisheries Council, which was formed in 1998 to manage fishing disputes off Puako. A recent study by the DLNR found a drastic decline in the reef fish population in the area between 1979 and 2008. The majority of submitted testimony supported the scuba spearfishing ban, saying that doing so at night when fish are asleep allowed spearfishers to take too many fish too easily. Critics of the practice also say that spearfishers are targeting larger and often pregnant fish. But Isla and several other fishermen who testified argued that there was no data on the impact of scuba spearfishing and said that it's simply not possible to collect that many fish. They also warned that the restrictions in one area may lead to similar rules across the state. The board also approved a new rule limiting aquarium fish collection in West Hawaii waters to 40 species and clearing the way to with to redraw the boundaries of the managed area based on more current satellite imagery. Now, you know, it's interesting uh, when you think about it, 
if you go out there with uh, you know spear and and the scuba gear, uh, you're probably not gonna get you know like a whole lot of fish as opposed to maybe doing some sort of uh, you know bottom fishing or net, net you know fishing. yeah net fishing. So I can I can sort of uh, sort of empathize you know with the spear fishers because. I mean, you know, you, whatever you spear, you're going to have to haul out of there anyway, right? I mean, you know, it's not like you're going to carry a big bag. Right. Uh, and was, I think it was an Associated Press report that covered a lot of the arguments. I mean, this was six hours of testimony. Um, there's sort of the implication that it's, is it a sustainable practice when you're involving modern technology like s- scuba gear in what might be a previously traditional or sustainable practice? Um, but uh, still, you know, I, I, I can see also that opponents are saying that when you can go deeper, stay in the water longer, and you have uh, scuba gear, that you can get maybe bigger fish, mm-hmm. the more valuable ones, species that would normally not be captured, and ones that perhaps you might want to propagate and have have continuing uh, in the water. So, well, the the rules now go to the Attorney General for review, and the governor will... Uh, likely sign, and the question is, will this precedent in West Hawaii right, be spread implemented to other elsewhere? Areas, right. So we'll be watching that. With international espionage and cyber attacks making headlines around the world, the University of Hawaii at West Oahu this week announced a new degree program focused on information security. Developed in partnership with Honolulu Community College, the new Bachelor of Applied Science degree with a concentration in information security and assurance is the first of its kind at a public institution in the Pacific. It's designed to meet growing demand for tech security graduates. By working with uh, HEC, West, uh, UH West Oahu has created stackable degrees allowing students to start with hands-on technical skills and training at the community college level, then moving on to a four-year baccalaureate degree. The coursework includes a class in proactive systems security covering how hackers attack computers and networks and how to prevent them. Students will also cover legal and ethical implications of their work. They will also explore modern cyber conflicts from techniques to detection and defenses for espionage. The program is modeled after the National Institute for Cybersecurity Education, or NICE, framework, which supports several other IT and communications industry certification programs. UH West Oahu Vice Chancellor Linda Randall said in a statement, We are very excited to offer this needed and important degree. Our students will gain the critical skills and education in such areas as cybersecurity and digital forensics that are in demand in many sectors, both nationally and in Hawaii. Well, you know, I think uh, this is uh, really consistent with the interest level in, I think, uh, just not only computer literacy, but, you know, uh, cybersecurity. And, you know, we've been following things like uh, the Cyber Patriot and and the work being done in the high school level, Mm -hmm. getting kids kind of uh, aware of uh, maybe some of the uh, best practices for security around computer uh, computer use. So, uh, you know, having this kind of a coursework in the community colleges, I think, is a natural thing. And this is a national part, natural partnership. Uh, we've already covered, like you said, Cyber Patriot. Hawaii does pretty well. In fact, just this year, Lelehua High School was the national championship in the Army Division for the second year in a row for that competition. And just last month, a team, including students from both UH West Oahu and HCC, took second at a collegiate cyber defense competition. So, you know, the expertise is here, the interest is here, certainly. And now you can get that SENT degree over mm-hmm. at uh, HCC and then move on to get that uh, Bachelor of Applied Science or uh, in Information Security Assurance. Over at UH. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Finally, a quick update we wanted to share with you. Governor Neil Abercrombie today signed three tech-related bills into law today, SB 1003 gives the state uh, chief information officer the authority to develop and implement policies and procedures to secure government communication systems and data. HB 635 expedites the permitting process for broadband-related projects 
from telecom facilities to towers and antennas, and HB 632, which uh, solidifies the state's open data policies in an ongoing effort to make public government data more available uh, and online. Now, this is not something we normally do, and of course, I actually chide Bert a lot of times because we talk about open data so much because it's one of our personal passions and activities outside of the station. But I do have to say that getting this bill passed the first time any legislation about open data coming out was remarkable. And today at the bill signing ceremony, Senator Glenn Wakai had some, I thought, very apt remarks to make. But this particular bill, this open data bill, uh, I want to speak on just for a little bit because it comes down to a story about the number one. It came down to one individual, that being Bert Lum right here, um, who was passionate about this particular measure. Then he called in his friends, Jared Kuriyevo, who was here, um, uh, and, and others, but one added to one added to a group of, of individuals. And all of a sudden, we had a whole bunch of tech advocates here at the legislature. And when we talk about technology bills in the past, oftentimes they were driven by industry and lobbyists at the university. Some big players were here talking about the future of tech in Hawaii. But this open data bill is an example of how it was one individual who got a whole bunch of other grassroots uh, tech supporters to come and be part of the process. And it's really a lesson in good civics, how it's we welcome all into, into this capital. And a lot of times people think that it, you've got to have political muscle to get something through. But this is a case where... It was one conversation last November that led to one bill that now leads to one good law. So I thank you, Bert Lum, for leading the charge. So perhaps a little indulgent, and I apologize, but I do I do believe that you uh, I do want to honor you for your work, uh, your tenacity. I don't think you're a political muscle. I just think you're absolutely dedicated, and uh, I think that from the Hawaii Innovation Alliance to legislation like the bills that were signed today, more awareness of technology. That's something that we definitely both of us want to see more of in this community. Well, you know, I was really kind of humbled by uh, the the statements that uh, Senator Glenn Mackay made, and and I really didn't expect that, and and really it it was a community effort because it it really was something about bringing everybody else out. I mean, I just happened to be there to help kind of marshal it along, but it really was a good sign of our community coming and supporting this kind of bill. And we had a good turnout today for the signing. So Absolutely. Grassroots a, tech. Yeah, so It was, uh, it was a, good, a good thing and a good showing for our tech community. Congrats. Uh, so joining us here in the studio is Hawala Grevy, and he's a serial op- entrepreneur here to tell us about his new application called DareShare. We want to welcome you to the show, Hawala. Hey, what's up, guys? Glad to be here. Thanks. DareShare. So come, kind of tell me, like, uh, where did you get that name, and what does this application do? Uh, DareShare is a fun new way for people to connect, to create and f- share funny moments and get recognized. In essence, we've built a mobile social network uh, built predicated around people doing silly things, dares. Um, We weren't sure about what to name it, so a few months ago I went to the one place I know that potential customers would be, the Alamoana Apple Store. (laughs) I stood outside the door, and I looked for anyone under 30 coming out of the door, and I went up, I briefly described our concept, I showed them a list of three uh, names that we had in mind, and um, DareShare was the clear favorite. And about 30 minutes into it, uh, about four mall cops rolled up on me and said, yo, <laughs> man, you, you can't be doing that. No soliciting. And, um, well, I had four mall cops in front of me. So I said, well, what do you guys think this game should be? <laughs> and the head mall cop, uh, he almost answered me, but he knew not to bite. 
So right. that's how we came up with the Well, the I name. like the name. I think it pretty <laughs> much explains what it is. And I and there've been other attempts to do the same thing and dares in many ways are kind of social things. They're they're inherently shareable viral things. And there are some I think perfect with the timing of the release of your app that are all over the internet right now. Yeah, uh we were working on this and about Four weeks ago, you know, I follow celebrities on Instagram and I try and keep up with popular culture. And some of our dares include popular internet memes such as Vadering or Hadouken. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing celebrities doing these online and I knew we had to push it immediately. So I'm really happy about the timing. We're really excited about this product. Um, we think we can we can really build it out to well, something significant. For those that aren't hip to the kids these days, and I'd probably fall into that category, you said a few that... I mean, words that don't sound like English to me. What is vadering? It's an internet internet meme. Uh, one person uh, makes like their Darth Vader, so they have their hand outstretched with an open palm. And then one or more people jump in the air and hold their neck like they're getting choked out in Empire Strikes Back uh, by the lieutenant in the Death Yes, Star. yes, that's right. You yes. know, there's another one called um, Hadoken, and, and uh, it also is referred to as the Kamehameha. Yeah. And so give me a little sense of where that came from. Uh, that comes from the Street Fighter Two video game series by Capcom and then later by Dragon Ball Z. Uh, it's another popular internet meme, especially in Japan right now. Uh, a common form would be uh, one person making like their Ken or Ryu from Street Fighter and <laughs> doing the open palm attack. Hadouken! And then one or more people like flying up, back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the chi force, huh? Well, yeah, I saw time. the Kamehameha thing, and I was like, how is that connected? It's neat that there's a Hawaiian element Word, in there, yeah. but what's the connection? Uh, I believe it's a derivative. Uh, so it's really popular in Japan, and we tested it out here, but not many people knew what it was about. So in the end, we just stuck with Hadoken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Jessica Alba, Ryan Higa, they're doing these things right now on social media. No, so we no. really like our timing. So normally what people do, uh, you know, they'll do, do do a quick video or they'll do uh, an Instagram or they'll take a photo, but yours sort of aggregates everybody into like one application to do their dares in their share? But we want to be known in the brute level of human consciousness. When someone <laughs> asks, what do I do when I need a laugh? We want to be number one at uh-huh, their list. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's what I think is the differentiator between DareShare and other so- social media and games. What do I do when I need a laugh? This is spans across age, across race, and country, in my opinion, and I'm biased, of course. Well, um, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but we put out a tweet, um, and we were saying, hey, what if uh, Hoala did a dare while he was on the air? And I'm a little f- afraid of what might actually come up, but... Uh, uh, it's really more about on the spot. In fact, when I saw you at an event last week, you got one of my coworkers to plank. He had excellent was, form, by the way, and he did it with a backpack on. Yes, which so was awesome. Fantastic balance. So, uh, what does a dare perhaps sound like, uh, Huala? So, uh, Dare Share has a list of dares that people choose, take a picture, upload it, and then anyone following them, friends or followers, can get a laugh and vote up or down or leave a comment. And so uh, if there's no one calling in, I have a dare in mind. Okay, so uh, you're going gonna to go ahead and do your dare and then we'll... Well, Bert, it actually involves you. So I'm going to give my camera to Ryan here. Well, you know, And the dare is lick someone. So please oh be my. a good sport. Hold on a second oh while I walk my. away from the mic. I don't know what... Should I make a sound effect when the tongue makes... Con- okay. Okay. All right. Okay, okay. So what... With Bert... Oh, my God. <laughs> So we will post this photo much to Bert's. You can, you can, 
That was an extended. <laughs> that was an extended amount of wow. tongue contact. Hey, we're Dare Share Brothers now, yeah, man. Yeah, really, man. But we're Dare Share Brothers. Okay, so <laughs> go to bitemarkscafe.org to see that uh, that <laughs> titillating photo. Um, but okay. <laughs> So if somebody wants to see that and other dares, how can they learn more about DareShare? It's in the App Store. It's free. It's DareShare. Please find it. Please play. I'll see you online. I'm the Tom of MySpace. When you play, everyone's following me just so you have some fool to laugh at. So, All right. So, if you play so, DareShare, you're going to see this. Oh, wow. Well, it's it's embarrassing, but uh, I think that's <laughs> enough for people to, to draw people to the application. So DareShare, you can go to the App Store, find it, download it, and check it out. Yes. Sounds good. Thanks, Hawala, for joining us. Right on, guys. Thanks a lot. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci. And uh, they're here to tell us about science on the high seas. What can we learn from these experiments on Hokulea and Hikianalia? We'd, of course, love your questions as part of the conversation. So please give us a call at 941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, you can tweet us your questions. You can find me at Bite Marks or Ryan at Ahoy. This is Bite Marks Cafe. The CIA and their military establishment was very much concerned that the communists had found techniques for brainwashing. Does anybody want to go home? No! On the next Radio Lab, one man's attempt to safeguard national security backfires. I'm Jad Abumrad. Join us for the next Radio Lab. Saturday morning at 10, following the Splendid Table. On the next On Being, The Last Quiet Places, Gordon Hempton says that silence is an endangered species. He's an acoustic ecologist, a collector of sound all over the world. He defines real quiet as presence, not an absence of sound, but an absence of noise and a think tank for the soul. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join me from APM. Sunday morning at 10. Welcome back to Bite Mars Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci. Alexis is a Ph.D. candidate over at UH Manoa, whose current research focuses on the use of sound to characterize the distribution and relative abundance of whales in Hawaii. Anushka is an education specialist in the Department of Biology at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And uh, how does one get an experiment hosted on the Hokulea? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu. Or one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands, Alexis and Anushka. Welcome to Bike Marks Cafe. Hi, how are you? Hi. So uh, before we jump into the actual experiments, I, I kind of wanted to uh, get an idea as to how you got involved with uh, you know Hokule in the first place. Uh, maybe Alexis, you can start off. So Nainoa Thompson came to HIMB and gave a talk all about the Worldwide Voyage and HIMB stands for Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology. Okay, okay. And uh, it was really inspirational. Nainoa is an excellent speaker, and um, they told us all about how they're hoping to get scientists involved in the Worldwide Voyage because their mission is really to conserve the oceans and. 
So they want to actively conserve the oceans by learning more about the mm-hmm. oceans. So he actually went out and kind of reached out to the research community to want to you know, have them get involved. Yes, and he told us the story of the Hokulea and all the history of the Hokulea. And it's really a very inspirational story. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we're really honored to be a part of that. And Anushka, was that kind of the same meeting that you went to? It's a little bit different because we are more involved with kind of science outreach. So we've been doing workshop. Um, I'm part of a small um, nonprofit organization which has a goal to kind of um, raise uh, ocean awareness Mm -hmm. among Hawaii's youth. And we've been doing some preliminary workshops with kids in Hawaii, which included some paddling. And some people which are involved in the education part of Hokulia's Worldwide Voyage, like Jenna Ishi, she's been um, part of those workshops. And so that's when she asked, hey, you want to come over and do something similar for Hokulia? Mm-hmm. Now, um, Nainoa is not here because it's very busy, but perhaps, Alexis, you can tell us about specifically, briefly, the Worldwide Voyage Project because it's probably the most ambitious uh, voyage that uh, the, the society has, been, has ever undertaken. Well, I don't really feel like I can uh, paraphrase Nainoa very well because he's an excellent speaker. But basically, it it all started out in outer space. Um, There was a astronaut that was involved with the worldwide voyage. And um, Nainoa and he were talking one day and he was... Um, talking about his experience looking down at Hawaii from space. That was, uh, what, Lacey Beach? Lacey yeah. Beach, that's correct. And he said, Nainoa, we should take the worldwide, vo- the, the um, Hokulea all the way around the world because this story of Hawaii is relevant to people all the way around the entire world. Um, and so that's really how it, how it started in outer space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Hokulea has been something that, uh, is a symbol of the sort of the renaissance of uh, uh, traditional Hawaiian navigation. And it's been in use for many, many years, you know, since they first started. And didn't it have to go through some major renovation? Um, Anushka, are you familiar with some of the work that was being done? Yeah, I helped a little tiny bit on the deck work. And so it seems like they really redid lots of it except for the halls, I think, are mostly the original part. They got it ready for this amazing undertaking of the worldwide voyage. Um, but I think they l- made it lighter and wider. Mm-hmm. And so she's sailing much faster now also. Um, so they just did adjustments from, you know, learning through all those years of navigating. Well, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've been sort of following the Hokulea and uh, they've been talking about the, the worldwide voyage for a while. And I think there was a lot of... Uh, planning that that went to it went into it along with the renovation of the hokulea uh do you have a sense as to some of the the planning that sort of went into this before the actual launch which which took place like about a month ago just a little bit i mean i know you know i know it has been done amazing lots of planning i mean there's lots of people i think pretty much all of them volunteers involved in it and you know, from writing grants and financing and connections and contacts to the different places and then just the dock work. And I think that one of the main things is also to get the younger generation of Hawaiians involved in this whole thing. And there's a few of them 
um, which then kind of took a lead on one certain aspect. And some looked at the weathers and, you know, weather patterns, for example, which they need to in order to kind of design the worldwide voyage, the route where it's going to go along, because hopefully it's dependent on the winds and what to avoid mm-hmm. um, for security and and just voyaging reasons and there's the ones which looking which places to go to um for for example places which have an importance in marine conservation or or populations which for cultural reasons so there's lots of people which kind of looked at different aspects to of this whole thing and then the whole thing about educators to get all the Hawaiian educators involved, but also to try to make connections with educators at the different ports they're going to voyage to. So it's a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci about doing science aboard the Hokula, Hokulea and Hikianalia during their worldwide voyage. And if you are curious about some of this work and other ways that this traditional practice can help advance science, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689, or on Twitter, at Bitemarks, or at Hawaii. Now, Alexis, when he came to the Institute and said that this was an opportunity, uh, certainly you have the research that you do and the interest that you do. How did this opportunity perhaps reshape your thinking about your research? What did the Hokulea's voyage add to or be unique that was attractive to you versus what you might do at the Institute? So I study underwater sound, and if you are going to record sounds underwater from a boat, a sailboat is the perfect boat to record the sounds from. No motors. Right. There's no motors. There's nothing interfering. And so this was an amazing opportunity for me to get some underwater recordings. Um, They're going to places in the world that very, very few voyages ever go to, and very, very few scientific voyages ever circumnavigate the entire globe. Mm. They usually head down to a specific region and then do um, sail around in that region and then come back. So this is just an incredibly unique opportunity. Mm-hmm. So normally, if you didn't have an opportunity to put equipment on a, a sailboat, where would you normally get some of these acoustic uh, recordings? So um, part of my research has been with the Young Brothers Shipping Company, huh. and I had equipment off of the back of one of their barges. So that was pretty neat also because the barge is really far back from the tugboat, mm-hmm. and right. so mm-hmm. it gets the sound equipment back from the big heavy motors. Um, and they go back and forth twice a week. So between I could, uh, here and the, the, the continent, the U.S. continent? Between here and the other islands. Ah, oh, okay. So um, I, got, I had an opportunity to get lots and lots and lots of repetitive recordings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how about you, Anushka? I mean, what uh, does the Hokulea add uh, in terms of a new dimension to your research? So for us, it's more we are, as I already said, a small um, starting nonprofit organization. So it was kind of a nice way to kind of start and grow and and try things out. And if you're involved in education, right, the goal is to reach as many people as you can. So the Worldwide Voyage is just a great opportunity um, to just reach as many people as possible. So so the nonprofit organization that you started uh, or are are involved in, uh, what, what is the sort of focused... Uh, attention of that nonprofit. So the name is Kahikai, which means one ocean. So mm-hmm. it's basically um, founded by four um, marine biologists. We were all graduate students at postdoc at Kuala Marine Lab, and we have, I guess, a common love for the ocean. 
and wanted to like share this love with the especially um children because we think the children are the ones which are going to continue to to care of the ocean so if you educate the children make them aware about the importance of the ocean um and loving it so that they're going to keep taking care of it for the future generations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so the nonprofit is really an, an educational uh vehicle to share whatever is learned about the ocean to the kids. Right. And central to our thing is basically we are most of us are professional or hobby photographers, so visual things are also easy, you know, if you show pretty picture of cool organisms, that's often an easy hook to get mm-hmm. people curious and interested, and that's kind of how we come into play. So we got the opportunity to have this partnership with this uh, lab in Berkeley, the Fletcher Lab, which produced, they have these, developed these cell scopes, which are basically a microscope, which which do, um, makes your iPhone into a mobile, easy to use microscope. And so that's one thing we do, we've done on our workshops, and, and one right now is actually on Hokulea or better Hikianalia to be used for outreach purposes and to show plankton. Now, now Ryan is holding this thing close to the mic. With awe. Yeah. I wish you could hear what it looks like. Um, <laughs> well, we recently did a show with a local startup doing something called SnapZoom, which was a mechanism that you could attach your iPhone to uh, any kind of specific optics, a telescope or a microscope. But this is uh, something that's very purpose-built. It does look like a microscope setup, but with a nice slot for an iPhone. It is very, very impressive. So, uh, I mean, you designed this, 3D printed this. Is this something? So this has actually been developed by the Fletcher Lab at UC Berkeley. And Ah, it's been developed actually for diagnostic purposes for doctors in remote areas. You know, anywhere remote, Africa, whatever. They actually developed different tools like things to take pictures of your eyes or from inside your ears. And then also the microscope, because the doctors can go somewhere where they have no access to any databases or anything. They can take picture of a blood sample or anything, send that with their iPhone to a hospital or anywhere else and and do diagnostics right there and there in in a very remote area. So the ease of use, basically, is what then leads to being used for outreach purposes, Mm -hmm. because especially children have a hard time with microscopes to look through it with their eyes, right? It's, It's hard to see, but... Nowadays, they all know how to use an iPhone. Right. So it's, you know, you, you put them up on events and, and the kids just come and play around. I mean, before their parents and know what's happening. So so they take pictures, take videos of plankton or anything we have underneath there. Now, Alexis, uh, we have, so the two of you have uh, opportunities to participate. How many other in the sort of science or outreach or education programs or uh, projects are participating in this voyage in addition to you? And I would imagine that your or your project, will it go all the way around the world or are there shifts, I guess, basically for some of these uh, experiments? So I think there are a total of five different science groups that are participating. And I've only gotten a chance to go out to the Hikianalia and watch one of them. And that one group is um, they're actually putting plants on the Hikianalia to grow them during the voyage um, using hydroponics. So that's a pretty cool thing, both for the scientists and for the crew members, because they get to have fresh plants during the middle mm, of the voyage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an example of uh, an experiment that's going to, for the most part, I think, will take uh, the entire voyage, I guess, and, and see what the results are. 
yours as a as an example of a recording. I mean, you're going to try to record as much as you can right. on the entire voyage, right? So my recorder um, can just work all by itself for up to three months is how many files the hard drive can store. Mm -hmm. And then um, at the end of the three months, they can just stick a new hard drive on there and send me the old hard drive. And I can look at all the sounds that have been recorded during those entire three months and see like if they heard whales, dolphins, I can look at ship noises, um, compare the sounds in different ports across the world. So there's just a wealth of information that you can get. So your recorder is basically picking up recordings as the Hokulea travels. Now, do you have geolocation associated with those uh, files so that you kind of know where that is? Yes, I, I do have geolocation, so I can compare the locations too. Okay, we're listening to some sounds. Now, can you describe what those sounds might be? Those sounds were humpback whales singing. So if we were doing... Um, voyages in the Hawaiian Islands during humpback season, we would hear those sounds. But also in also in other parts of the world, um, we there's actually a lost population of humpback whales. Lost? They're not really lost, but we just don't know where they go to breed. So we're hoping that, you know, someday we'll figure out where this population of humpback whales goes during the summer to breed and have their young. Um, and we can fill in some of those missing gaps in information. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, to find out what is in your, uh, let's say, recording device. I mean, obviously you're recording acoustically, but what are you doing to get the geolocation? And how, do you, how are you associating location with the actual sound file? So during the Hawaiian segment of the voyage, I'm getting the geolocation information from the Hikianalia's GPS that mm -hmm. they have on board recording their locations. And is that, is that directly correlated to the sound file? My sound files all have timestamps associated mm. with them. So I know exactly what time the sound was collected. And then GPS files also have timestamps. Okay, so, so you're just correlating it via just the time, the time uh, right, exactly. correlation. Okay, good. Yeah. That's interesting. So Anushka, when you are, you're, I guess, helping, was it Stanford? Uh, Berkeley. Berkeley, I'm Berkeley. sorry. <laughs> this is certainly field testing. And actually for both of you, but Anushka first, I mean, uh, I would imagine there's kind of a harsher environment on a hokulea than you would see in a laboratory, correct? Is there anything you need to do in terms of precautions? Um, correct. Well, I think, so we've been using them for like a year or two, and there's actually, as you can see, not much metal on it. Most mm -hmm. of it is is um, actually plastic from plastic um, made from a 3D printer. Um, so the nice thing about these things, it's also the only electricity, I mean, or power it needs is the little LED lamp, which can just be That's replaced. like a tiny mag yeah, so light. Just exactly, flash mag light. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's another thing, which because Hikianalia and Hokulea, so the importance is the you know, minimal... Um, footprint, carbon footprint through the voyage. That's something they really care about um, to say to stay sustainable. Um, so that what works. And you need to your iPhone is the only thing the power you need. So mm -hmm. I think the most dangerous thing is just that it falls in the water. I think that's what we are mostly scared uh, about. <laughs> you know, I I, I want to um, kind of get a sense as to how your experiments were sort of selected. I mean, I know there might be. Uh, a kind of a uh, an arbitrary uh, means by which that might have been arrived at. But maybe we can hold that thought and we'll be right back after the short break to 
Continue our conversation with Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci about science experiments aboard the Hokulea and Hikianalia. How do these experiments get uh, experiments get managed over this four-year voyage? We'd, of course, like to hear from you. You can give us a call at 941-3689 from the neighbor islands or at 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. On the next Echoes, it's new music from Richard Bone. The electronic musician has a new CD called Images from a Parallel World. And guitarist Bill Frizzell goes to Big Sur for his new album of the same name. I'm John DiLibretto, and it's coming up on Echoes, a music soundscape from PRI, Public Radio International. Tonight at 10. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Michael Toms, host of New Dimensions. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be speaking with Paul Stamets about the wonders of mushrooms and healing the earth. Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Rano Zao, and we're talking to Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci about science on the high seas. And how do you envision using what you've learned as a result of these experiments? And, of course, you can give us a call. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or from the neighbor islands at 1-877-941-3689. And, of course, right before the break, uh, you know, I was kind of curious you know, when Ainoa came out and talked to, let's say, the um, the Institute and got all the researchers excited about, you know, doing some kind of experiment, how was it that, uh, you know, you came up with whatever, you know, your experiment and, and was it some selection process that took place or how did, how did both of you end up having your experiment get on board? The selection process was um, just the scientists going up to the crew and um, the the people that work on the Hokulea and the Hikianalia and figuring out what would actually work with their system because their number one priority is safety and making sure that the boat is functioning properly. So we're we're just trying to make sure that everything that's on there is going to fit those two goals mm-hmm. and like mine and Anushka's are are really easy to integrate with um, with all the other systems on the boat. Mm-hmm. Right. So if somebody was trying to test an app for doing planking, that probably wouldn't have made it. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't think Hawala would have been. Uh, should have been messing around yeah. on the boat. So Anushka, uh, your, okay, so your uh, little sort of scope, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it, it's kind of geared toward plankton, right? Or Anything small? really. But Anything? yes, yes. So we're gonna. Our focus is gonna be plankton because it's one of those things which is most people maybe heard the name, but they don't really know what it is, so, why they should care. So would it um, would it be geared toward the the participants on the voyage if they wanted to use it, or who's gonna be the person that actually gathers information as a result of this uh, uh, device? So it's gonna be any so. Probably some dedicated crew members are going to do the plankton toes and then take the images. But as it's so easy, I think lots of them can do it. And I'm going to actually um, 
teach some of them to do it on island, but also I'm going to go next week to Molokai to join Hokulea in uh, Kanakakai for mm-hmm. a few days for outreach events, but also to, to you know, tell the crew a little bit about a plankton and why um, we should care about plankton and and how to do a plankton tour and how to use the cell scope. So, so, so on the on the voyage, um, who would actually want to take this device and and you know, let's say look at look at plankton? I mean, what, what what's the process by which this experiment sort of takes place? So, as I said, it's mostly for like outreach purposes. So mm-hmm. the plan is to take images throughout the voyage. So maybe hopefully to find different plankton throughout mm-hmm. the voyage in different seas and different areas. And, you know, maybe doing plankton tours also different times of the day. But then also use it as an outreach tool in port at each port they are to kind of talk, you know, work with the community there to kind of visualize, again, the plankton, which is most people have not seen, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to kind of use it as a hook to sh- to tell them about the importance of plankton. Now, Alexis, I didn't get to ask you, uh, I mean, in addition to perhaps dropping your instruments all overboard, I mean, uh, as audio people, certainly radio people, I'm always curious about kind of that rig and in an extreme environment. You talked about hard drives. To me, hard drives and sailboat in the open ocean are normally not combined together. So what precautions did you need to take? So as anyone who's dropped their cell phone into the ocean knows, <laughs> electronics and saltwater do not play well together. Um, so I have to be really careful about um, waterproofing all of my equipment. And the um, underwater hydrophone, which is a microphone for underneath the ocean, um, is encased in epoxy, which is a hardened plastic that we mold specifically for this um this instrument. And then all the electronics are inside of a Pelican case. And my electronics work off of their own solar panel that's attached to the Pelican case. And all of that um, is made by me in the lab. <laughs> well, you're one of the makers. Oh, maker. Yeah. yeah. I'm a, kind of a hybrid maker slash scientist. Oh, great. Those are the best. Now, one of the questions in a shy caller called and uh, wanted to get this uh, asked to either one of you. Um, so audio is getting recorded. Do you know of any attempts to do some video capture uh, on any of the voyages? There are people with video cameras on the voyages. And actually, last week during the voyage, they saw um, bottlenose dolphins. And so I had the recorder in the water. They were videoing the bottlenose dolphins. So mm-hmm, I could mm-hmm. I could get a positive ID on the sounds that I was recording. So I know exactly which species they were. Awesome. Well, you know, um, um, Naalehu, who is one of the fe- uh, folks involved with uh, Hoivi TV, I think is probably also involved with uh, not only video, but also communications and some of the other content creation that is going to result as uh, as part of the voyage. So I'm sure video, if he's, you know, Hoivi TV, he's going to be capturing some video. I think that that video actually was on the channel that you're talking about. Ah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh Alexis, um, Anushka talked about the outreach and how this these these slides or these images might be able to just be shared and and people can see photos of plankton and learn about them. What where do your recordings go? Do they go into your secret 
uh, vault. Uh, vault of whale sounds, or are they going to be published online somewhere or uh, shared with other whale researchers? Well, unfortunately, I don't have a secret cave underneath the <laughs> volcano, but um, they I will get them initially, and then we can publish the interesting ones online so that people can listen to them and learn about the different sounds that animals make here. But if you live in Hawaii and you want to hear humpback whales, you can actually go out in the ocean during the humpback whale season, which is February and March, and just dive down under the water five feet, and you'll hear them from any almost anywhere on shore. You mean uh, just with your ears? unaided uh, ears? Just with your unaided ears. They're very loud. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe just like with uh, certain bands or just this underground trading community, like I got this awesome whale, I'll trade it for your whale. No? Um, <laughs> no, although maybe they do that with pictures of whales. Oh, that could work. We're talking to Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci about doing science aboard the Hokulea and uh, Hikianalia during their worldwide voyage, a four-year voyage. And if you've got a thought as to some other things that you might be able to learn by combining a traditional practice with modern science, we'd, of course, love to hear that. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Anushka... Um, is the length of the voyage a factor? I mean, it, there are different segments, certainly, but I can tell you now that whether it's a science project with or without funding, whether it's a, uh, an educational program, four years is actually a lifetime where things can come and go. How do you see sustaining this work and these lovely gadgets for four years? Well, we're very lucky with, with having this partnership with the Fletcher Lab and UC Berkeley. So this is actually a loan for now. We have two on loan, one the one here in the studio, and oh. one is actually currently on Hokulea with a different magnification. I think anyway. I'll give this back to you then. It sounds yes. very valuable. No, no. So, <laughs> but we have a grant, actually. We got our first grant by the Atherton Family Foundation, and that will allow us to get a few more because while it's on Hokulea on Worldwide Voyage, we won't have it here for our workshops available. Right, right. So so I think, and, and as we're just building up this um, organization, I think we're just planning to apply for more grants so to ensure that we always have at least one available to, to lend to Hokulea's Worldwide Voyage. Now, can you uh, give me a sense as to how much that cell scope might cost? Um, I'm not exactly sure because these are all prototypes so mm-hmm. which is kind of cool because as we use them we can tell them hey what about if you do this or try this you know and then they they try it out like right now they're working on a they have some prototypes for iPads and now we were asking hey how about the iPad mini and so huh. they're they're you know they're adjusting things but um so you can be on the not- worldwide voyage looking at plankton or playing angry birds <laughs> there you go yeah Maybe you could be that. Instagramming, Instagramming <laughs> plankton. Now, now, you know, I was I'm, I'm looking at that, and I'm, I'm I'm kind of just guessing. You know, it's probably not like thousands of dollars. No, I think it's between five hundred and a thousand dollars. Yeah, so it's not more or less. that expensive, no. relatively speaking. And yeah. I would imagine, you know, you could probably have like half a dozen of them. Well, but as Alexis, as a maker and a creator of her things, would know these things are also priceless because they are prototypes or something that is so purpose built. That is so true. I've had equipment break and I wanted to just cry and hide under a rock because it's not always the cost of the equipment, but the amount of trouble that you have to go through to fix it and remake it again. Absolutely. 
We want to welcome Jim from Waikiki to Bite Mars Cafe. Uh, thanks for giving us a call. What's, uh, well, what's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call. This is a very interesting conversation. Well, thanks. I'm just curious about the route that they're going to take. I know that, um, you know, to get to the, they're going to be crossing the Atlantic apparently. And so I'm wondering if they're going to go around Africa and then again, uh, around South America, whether they're going to go through the Panama Canal because it's really treacherous and cold down in those parts of the uh, ocean. Well, good. Good question. Uh, and, and Jim, I think uh, Anushka has her, her map out in front of her, and maybe, <laughs> Anushka, you can describe what the route is. Now, for the, at least for now, okay, the year uh, 2013, they're just going around the state of Hawaii. Correct. So this year uh, is a statewide sale. Next year is going to be the Pacific. And they're going to finish in New Zealand. So they're going to be the winter 2014. They're going to be in New Zealand. And from there, going to kind of Australia, um, Indonesia, around that to Madagascar. Originally, uh-huh. they were planning to go through the Red Sea. But the problem there with piracy um, uh-huh. is really not ideal because everybody suggests to be fast with military on board. And, yeah. you know, it's just the opposite of what Hokulia can do. Right, right. So the plan is then to go through um, South Africa, but then from there cross the Atlantic to go to Brazil and go up to Northern America. And then on the way back, go through the Panama Canal, back to the uh-huh. Pacific. That's the okay. planned route, but, you know. Well, we'll yes. be following you, and uh, you'll be in our prayers. <laughs> okay. It's a wonderful project. You can also see that map online at hokulea.org. All right. Thank oh, you thanks. very much for that yeah, call. Thanks, and Jim. It, it will be fun to uh, follow that online. In fact, the Hokulea going through the Panama Canal sounds like a, f- a photo opportunity to die for, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would love, and, you know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, the Panama Canal has a web cam that's on the actual uh, canal showing, you know, the craft that is uh, the vessels that are moving through that. So if there is a chance that the Hokulea gets announced that they're going to go through the Panama Canal, I'd love to hear it because uh, I'd stay up all night to watch it. (laughs) That sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, um, these experiments, I mean, they're going to be lasting a pretty long time. I mean, uh, uh, Anushka, do you see sort of staying in touch. Are you going to go on any of the voyages? Is that, is, is that the plan? I mean, I don't want to jinx it or anything, but, you know, have you got a ticket <laughs> a reservation? Well, I think, you know, we'll see. But I hope to maybe go, you know, on one or so, especially the ones where there's lots of outreach opportunities. So maybe not on the long over ocean, open ocean crossings and stuff, but ideally, ideally, go. which which route would or which um, um, uh, path do you want to be starting to blush? New Zealand. She knows exactly which, which one, one would you want to go say. on. I would. I haven't been in the South Pacific yet. So, oh. mm. Alexis, I mean, what's your thought? I mean, you. I'm sure you'd like to. Well, I've got my fingers crossed, but they're going to so many absolutely yes. amazing th- places mm-hmm. so madagascar new zealand all of those places are amazing and yeah. what about the 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 four year plan for your project i mean in addition to four years of ocean sounds which i guess could actually be a uh, uh, a box set album at some point but <laughs> how is your how is your uh, your research going to sustain itself and keep going for the length of this uh, this voyage well right now i only have one recording setup so it would be nice to have a second backup recording setup mm-hmm. in case um a whale jumps on the recordings and <laughs> takes the box away with it or something <laughs> but um 
Yeah, I mean, it. four years of sound recordings is actually not that uncommon. Hmm. Um, sound recordings are great because it doesn't require people to be there all the time watching. And so you can get these really long data sets and get an idea of um, how things are changing over time. And instead of over time, the Hokulea is going to be going over a long distance. Right, right. So, uh, Anushka, you, I know you you mentioned the uh, you know the role that you play in in outreach and education, and uh, I've I've heard uh, Nainoa talk a lot about how what they learn through this voyage uh, they want to incorporate into courses, uh, and of course, uh, I think Honolulu Community College is is one of the places that has spent a lot of time and resource, you know, um, building coursework around. Uh, what they've been learning uh, as a result of Hokulea. So do you see any of that uh, correlation between what you're working on and it getting incorporated into sort of coursework? Well, we that's what we are hoping to do eventually. Um, so, for example, one um, school, we are starting a partnership, hopefully. It's mm-hmm. nothing final, so I don't want to jinx it. Okay, okay. But I don't know if you guys heard about SEEKS, um, a new charter school which basically builds their curriculum on questions of sustainability. I think they're starting in August with 6th and 7th graders, and they have these blocks in place to for like field courses or field work and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's, for example, where we could um, collaborate with them and maybe together build some curriculum around um, what we what our vision is and what their vision is. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Now, Alexis, while you're waiting for your four-year recording of Wales to come back to you, um, what are what are some of the projects you're going to be working on? Where can someone go to, to follow your work? Um, well, you can go to the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology website, which um, is, I think, www.himb.edu. We'll find it and we'll put it up on our show notes. Yep, hawaii.edu slash himb. And so your 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 uh, research is going to be sort of uh, featured over there. Um, I hope so. That would be nice. I can talk to the webmasters and see that. But I also we can call too. I also tweet online at <gasps> sounding the sea. Ah, good sounding the sea. sounding the sea. <laughs> now, Anushka, I think you need to kind of up your tweet activity. <laughs> so, which I didn't know till like actually this morning. We actually have Kahikai. We have a website kahikai.org. It's a little bit we are working on developing and making it more outreach related, but it's up and then you can see some of our beautiful images of sea creatures. And we are on Facebook. We have not been very active lately, but Facebook has apparently a direct um, link to Twitter. Sounds good. So. We'll be paying attention. Alexis Rudd and Anushka Fauci are both researchers at the University of Hawaii and are part of the science crew on the Worldwide Voyage of Hokulea. Thank you for joining us today, both both of you. Thank you. Thanks for, for having, having us. us. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can follow the Hokulea at hokulea.org. Join us next week when we'll talk about the CANSAT competition from NASA. And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. Or, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And I love Twitter. I'm at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And you, uh, we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a bit of dubstep by Stephen Swartz and a song, song called Bullet Train. 
See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite, 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 bite,